morning, good morning. I hope everybody's doing well. I hope your week was blessed. Um, for those who may not have been here last week or the week before, we have, we've, we've, um, we're, we're in a new series called Fruition, which is simply the ability to make fruit, and more, um, more poignant is we're talking about the fruit of the Holy Spirit. We say fruit of the Spirit is this fruit that, uh, that he develops. He wants to to uh, cause to be a continual, um, uh, he wants to continually produce this in our lives so that it can be displayed for everybody else and enjoyed with everybody else around us. And so I've been laying the groundwork the last two Sundays, and I'm going to continue that groundwork today, that uh, we are all uh, spiritual beings that are having a physical experience. And the reason I do that is because most people just live for this flesh. And so we think that, hey, I just happened to show up here on the planet and I've got to figure out my way around how this goes. And, and so we almost can come up with the with the understanding if we're not careful, I'm a mistake or somehow I just happened to be here. And it's nothing could be further from the truth. Like God was not surprised when you showed up. It was he was fully prepared and planned. And he's the one that caused it to happen. And so we've looked. Uh, we look in um, a number of different scriptures that, that tell us that in Psalm 139, where David wrote that before, you know, all the days written in your book for me were written in your book before one of them even came about. In other words, he already knew before you showed up. And then last week, looked at, last week we looked at Genesis chapter 1, where God said, let us make man in our image, G talking to the, uh, God the Son, Jesus, and God the Holy Spirit, and he wasn't talking about a physical image because none of the three were physical at that point. They were, they were God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit in spiritual form only. And so when he said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, he was talking about spiritually. Matter of fact, uh, God told them, on the day you eat of the tree of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, and we don't know what kind of fruit. We've, we've been unleashing a few different ones, and we're going to be doing some more through this series. But when he said, the day you eat of this fruit, you will surely die. Well, he wasn't talking about physical because they didn't die. Like, they lived hundreds of years after that. And so if it was simply a physical death and simply in our image, then that would have happened. But they did die. And it was more of a spiritual death. It was a separation from God because they chose to do their own thing and go their own way, which is every one of us are born with that. Anybody that has small children know that very well. You have to train children. You have to train them. If you don't train them, they will train you. I'm going to go ahead and tell you, it will happen. And so... You, you, could you imagine sitting around and say, oh, i got to train my children to be bad. They're just too nice to their brother and sister. You know, they're just too kind. I don't know what to do. They're just always looking out for them. No, it's usually the opposite growing up. You know, they go through this season and this stage where they're looking out for their own interests and everything's about me and mine. And, you know, anybody ever had a brother or sister, you're riding in the car with them, and, and you, you hear these words, he's looking at me. <laughs> like, What? The weight of a stare is bugging you. Like, he keeps looking at me. I'm like, look, I grew up with seven, like in a 10-year span, and we had a, a station wagon, <laughs> a station wagon that had the back seat that folded up, and guess who always got in the back? <laughs> it's 
So I'm making faces at the people riding up behind us, and Dad can't figure out what's going on. Because I'm like, yeah. You know? I'm like, you put me back here. I'm going to have fun. What's up? What y'all doing? Every truck that came by. Dad thinks they're tooting at him. I'm like, no, I got it going on back here. I'm going to have fun. You stick me in the back. But anyhow, so this thing of, of, of being spiritually, uh, this thing of, of, of us being spiritually devoid when we come into this world because our spirit hasn't been made alive. It died when Adam and Eve did. And to prove this a little further about this being spiritually made, having a physical experience, Jeremiah, we're going to turn there this morning real quickly. And the reason I bring that up is simply this. I want you to see that you're more spiritual than you think you are. And God wants to breathe life into your spirit that you come alive and he begins to develop this in you. And you walk around and, and you, just, you just exude love, joy, peace, patience, where all of this fruit just continually exudes out of you. Other people get to experience it. In Jeremiah 1, 4 and 5. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, and he said this. Check this out. The word of the Lord came to me saying, Behold, I formed you in the womb. uh, Excuse me. Before before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. What? Hold it. Let me read that again. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed appointed you as a prophet to the nations. This before anything, before before Jeremiah even knew who he was or knew what life was. He said, I already, Gnosko, I already knew you. I knew everything about you. And what that does, we take solace in the fact of this, that I, you, we are not an accident. We were born on purpose for a purpose. And God wants to use us. He wants us to get that. So uh, we can see that how incredibly gifted and, and what, he ha- what, his intention are, what his intention is for us to accomplish here on this earth. So like I said, when we were born spiritually dead, when we were born, when we came into this world, we had our, 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 our body, our soul, and our spirit. And if we go reverse, it's really our spirit is the core of our being. And then we have our soul, which is our mind, will, and emotions. And then we have this flesh. And until we're born again, many times we operate simply in, it's the only time we can, is operate in the emotional realm and the physical realm. And so we are run mainly by emotions. And don't be fooled because there are people that have very good control of their emotions and you would almost think they're born again because they're so kind. They, they may display some of this fruit and you think, well, they don't need Jesus because they're just so good. They're just good people. But let me tell you, good misses God by one vow, and that is, oh, which is, which is a big O. And so when we think about that, why are we supposed to be born again? Because we were born after Adam, and because our spirit are like theirs, it, it, it had died, um, we, we have this knowledge of good and evil, but we don't know how to do anything about it. We don't know what to do with it. So that's why Jesus came was to cause us to come alive. The Holy Spirit comes in and makes us awake and it breathes life into us. And we become born again, born in the, of the Spirit of God. And then we, we have a constant infilling of the Holy Spirit is what we're supposed to. It's not a one-time thing, but it's a continual thing. And if we do that, um, he will continually lead us. Matter of fact, 
in the Gospel of John, John said the Holy Spirit would lead us and guide us into all truth. And one of the biggest truths that he wants us to, uh, to realize is the fact he wants to produce within us. <laughs> Some of y'all get that later. <laughs> he wants to produce fruit <laughs> and reproduce himself. On the inside of us. Thank you, Sam. It's my bro. Hello. He wasn't going to leave me hanging. I appreciate that. <laughs> Anyhow, this is what we've been, this is what we're looking at. And why is this, why is this so important? Because if ever there was a time in history where we as human beings on this planet need to experience and demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit, it's today. We need it for ourselves but we also need it for everybody we come in contact with and everybody we're involved in. And so we're going to look, as we have each week, we're going to read first where this thing of the fruit of the Spirit is even mentioned in Galatians chapter 5. And just as I have tried to, and I'm going to continue to do this, give these examples of how we're spiritually made first, and then we have a, we're a spiritual being, having a, a spiritual person having a physical experience. I'm going to continue to do that, and just like I've done you may not have known this. I slipped this in on you because don't tell anybody. But I want you to see it from all angles. I've used a different version or a different translation of, of Galatians chapter 5 the last two Sundays. And some of y'all are like, mm, what? And so I'm going to use another one. This is the Good News translation. And this is what it says, Galatians 5, 16 through 23. This is our text we're working from. It says, what I say is this. Paul's writing here to the church of Galatia. Uh, a church that was struggling in many ways that needed freedom, like all of us. And that's what the main theme of Galatians is, is freedom. And he goes on to say, let the Spirit direct your lives, and you will not satisfy the desires of the human nature. Now, some translation says the flesh. Some translations say the sin nature. And so when we look at this, this human nature, this natural instinct, this natural occurrence... That takes place. It says, for what our human nature wants is opposed to what the Spirit wants. Capital S, Holy Spirit. And what the Holy Spirit wants is opposed to what our human nature wants. These two are enemies. And this means that you cannot do what you, uh, what you want to do. In other words, you, you have this desire to do good, but this human nature that wants to kick in and try to rule itself over our spirit. And it says, if the spirit leads you, then you're not subject to the law. In other words, there's no law for the fruit of the spirit. And he goes on verse 19, what human nature does is quite plain. And it shows um, itself in immoral, filthy, and indecent action. It goes on to say, and I, I told y'all before, and I keep telling you, nobody has to raise their hands and say, hey, yeah, that's me, yep, that's me. I'm, I'm, I've been a part of every one of these I can guarantee in some form or fashion in my life. And thank goodness the Holy Spirit is now in control and, and producing and weeding that junk out and continuing to produce the other stuff we'll get to in a moment. But it goes on to say this, in worship of idols and witchcraft, which is the control over people, people become enemies and they fight. And they become jealous, angry, and ambitious. They separate into parties and groups. They are envious, get drunk, have orgies, and do other things like these. I warn you now, as I have before, 
Those who do these things will not possess the kingdom of God. In other words, those who continually allow their flesh to dominate, to rule, and take over them. It's like, I'm sorry, this is, it, it can take over you. And I love this word in, in verse 22 where we see this small three-letter word that says, but. It's the three-letter one, not the one with the two T's. It's one, but. But the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. So we can sit there and go, hey, yeah, all those things are right and they're real about our human nature. But he goes on to say, but the Spirit produces love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and humility, or gentleness or humility, and self-control. There is no law against such things as these. Like, you will not see anywhere anybody making a law going, hold it, you're not allowed to love people so well. You're not allowed to have joy. You're not allowed to do this. It, it, there's no law for that. And so, week one, we looked at this word of love, and it's the agape love that God sheds abroad in our heart. He demonstrated that by dying on the cross for us and giving his only son. He gives us that continually, and it's not because we deserve it. It is only because of how good he is. His love is not based on what I do. It's based on who he is. Let me say that again. God's love is not based on what I do. It's always based on who he is. He is love. And then we looked at joy last week, and we see where joy is this underlying sense, not that, uh, that everything is great and I just suppose everything's happy. It's like, no, there's a difference between joy and happiness. That joy sustains us in our most darkest moments that I can still experience the joy of the Lord because it is his joy, not mine. We saw where it was his strength. We saw where it's able to help and, and provide the strength we need when we need it the most. Today, we, uh, we're going to jump into this thing of peace. Peace. P-E-A-C-E. -E. The one thing that everybody in the world wants but seems to have such a struggle attaining and seeing to grasp and, and having that operate in us and operate, us, uh, operate through us. It's a powerful fruit, and when we think about it, um, peace in its original language in, in the Old Testament is shalom. Many people know that word, shalom. And so if somebody ever says to you, shalom, you go, oh, shalom back. It's peace to you. It's like, well, peace to you as well. And so um, I know some of the people around here joke about shalami, but that's a whole other thing where they're trying to intersperse some cultural stuff, get some Italian mixed in with some of the Israelis. It's like, shalom is, is peace to you. And that's what God wants us to have. And so peace, in its essence, is the absence of disturbance. It's tranquility of soul and mind and spirit. It's the absence of war. And like I mentioned a moment ago, think of, uh, for the young mothers in the house, uh, this thing of tranquility. So I was at a birthday party yesterday, my, and speaking of tranquility, my uh, my precious daughter and son-in-law, they got to go off with a couple over the weekend. And so, um, so I got to keep three, their three little precious ones, my grandchildren, Benji, Noah, and Rivy. And so we got them at Friday at four. And this thing of tranquility, <laughs> this thing of, of calm, this thing of, it happens about the time they close their eyes and go to sleep. It's like, <sighs> all the young mothers in the house can say Amen. <laughs> So, 
So it's funny because as I'm at this birthday party, they had a birthday party go to yesterday. And as I'm sitting there, I saw one of my former youth, a mother who has three. And she, we were just talking about it, going over. And I was sharing, you know, what we're doing. I said, yeah, how things were going. I was talking, we we're going to go over peace. She goes, oh, goodness, tranquility. Like, I, like today, she was here with me. I just wanted to have peace folding their clothes. Like, like they were asking me all these questions. I'm like, I just want to get your clothes folded so I can put them in the drawers and put them up neatly. And they kept asking her, hey, what about this? And hey, can you do my hair? What? And I went like this. And I'm like, yeah. So the whole thing of having peace just to have a moment of rest. Uh, I know one mother, they were saying like, yeah, I just want peace to go to the bathroom. I want to go to the bathroom in peace. Like not even having somebody banging on the door like, ah! It's like, I just want to have a moment to myself. And so this thing of peace, this thing of tranquility that we desperately need and desire, I believe we can have that, but not in the way that sometimes we think we can. I've broken peace in the four main categories. Now, there may be more. And I'm going to, as I always do when I speak, you have freedom to search out and study this thing farther out than I have. I've spent a lot of time doing this, but you are free to pursue and to, I hope it stirs you up to go and do some more research on peace in this thing. But I've broken it down into four categories and it's simply internal, external, eternal, and temporal. Internal, external, eternal, and temporal. Now what that means internal. So when I think internal, this is what most of us think. We think inside of me. And that is true. That's the very basic part. Like God wants me to have peace inside of me, peace of mind for me. But there's also internal in this, in that I'm internal me, but I also have internal peace, internal peace with my, with my wife and my family. Like this is internal. Everything besides my family is external. Like the rest of y'all, like y'all don't, mm -mm, this is my family and I, and I protect my family and I, and everything else is external. So the thing about that is we know the inner struggles that happen in families, in our family. And we keep that to our family unless we invite somebody in. No, you don't. We are keeping this in here. The same thing is true. So we could say that same thing. Internal is a city. That we have like Brunswick, Georgia. Y'all don't come in here and mess with Brunswick, Georgia. This is our family. This is our home. The rest of them is external. We can do the same thing with a state, with a nation, with a people, the, Ameri you know, the United States of America. This is our country. So don't come in here messing up. That's, we're internal as our country. And right now we need a lot of help and peace internally. <laughs> so in each one of these areas. And everything else is external. So... When we think of it, we got to be careful. It's not, oh, it's just me. It starts with me, but it's, it, it expands out. The same thing is true with eternal. So eternal peace is this thing that no matter what happens to me on this planet, and things will happen. Jesus promised us. He said, in this world, I like to term it, I like to term it this way, below the sun, like all, our whole time, Below the sun, we are going to have struggles. He said, look, you're going to have struggles below this. He promised us there would be problems. He said, in this world, you will have problems. 
And so, but he said, be of good, care, be of good courage, I've overcome the world. But he said, it's going to happen. And so peace is not the absence of conflict, but rather tranquility or calmness of heart in the midst of it. So let me say to every one of us, we all have things that come at us on a daily basis that would try to rob us of our peace, that would try to rob us of our eternal peace, first of all, peace that we first of all belong to the Lord no matter what happens. The second part is where it tries to rob us of our temporal peace, and that's our circumstances when they come up. Things arise that, that we don't plan for, things that we didn't do, things that have said, that have been said and done that, that we didn't do, that somebody else said and done, that were beyond our control, that causes us to lose our peace and begin to act in a way and in a manner that sometimes dis, uh, uh, that demonstrates, hey, the Holy Spirit's got some producing to do. He's got some cultivating to do. He's got some work to do. Because how do you know if you have peace? When, when everything's calm and I can sit here and I don't have anybody. So, so all the grandparents in the house, I got a little fun for y'all too. Because those that have grandchildren, when they come to your house and then you release them to go back to their house. See ya. Love ya. <sighs> Thank you, Lord. Man, I'm sore. No, I'm <laughs> so it's where, where, we, where we say, wow, this whole thing of this, this temporal versus eternal, this thing of having this tranquil, calm spirit, it doesn't mean I got to have everything my way and have it set up just perfectly or I can't have it. God wants us in the worst possible times. I mean, when your world is shaken up, I mean, at the worst possible moment, this is where the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, produces this peace that transcends our own mind and our own understanding. That there's no reason for you to have peace. When you get a diagnosis that's far beyond your control, and I've had way too many times where I've walked with families and be right there when they get that diagnosis and I'm going to tell you it's hard in that moment it's okay it's going to be okay not when the doctor says hey in my own family when my they they told my dad hey you got a year to live that's not a time where you go oh thank you lord man that's like Jesus you're good that's where the human nature kicks in and say lord okay what's real what 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 do I have right now holy spirit Everything within me, my world just got rocked. But Father, I believe that you are able to do far what I can think or ask. Matter of fact, I think it's Chuck Swindoll that is quoted with saying, life is 10% of what happens to you and 90% of how you react to it. And so when we think of this, I think of this thing of this flesh and spirit war that continually goes on on the inside of us. This human nature versus our spirit nature and in Romans chapter 8, Paul picks up on this again, and he's writing to the church at Rome, which was a very um, hedonistic, where they gave into the flesh a lot. They had temples of idol worship and all types of things. And it says in verse 5 of Romans 8, it says, those who live according to the flesh, the outward, the external, have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the spirit have their mind set on what the spirit desires. And it goes on to say the mind governed by the flesh. Okay, now check this out. 
there we go. We got these two, these three entities that it's talking about our spirit, soul, and our body. It says the mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. And where is it that we want peace the most? Is in our mind and in our spirits. It's our it's our soul realm. It's our our our, our mind, our will, and our emotions. And it's where the enemy comes and attacks us the most. Let's be honest, the very number one place the enemy attacks you and attacks me is right here between our ears. You know why? Because you got this thing that God put in every human being, and it's called a conscience. And it's the one thing you can't get over, you can't get around, you can't. It's the one thing that tells you when you do something or when something's done to you. Conscience, con. A con meaning with, science means knowledge. You and I are with knowledge of everything that we've ever done or said and everything that's been done or said to us. Now, I know some of you and I've had some people that have fun with me and said, no, I don't remember everything, and it wasn't my fault. I'm like, no, it was your fault. You took the first drink. You took the first snore. You took whatever it was that caused you to forget. I blacked out. I couldn't remember nothing. I'm like, well, it still was recorded inside. You knew it. And so this thing of having this conscience, God places that in us. And it's not to make us guilty. Because that's what some people think. God just, he did, he, he did his dirty, man. He put this place inside you can't lie to. <laughs> like you can tell somebody something and make them try to believe it. But inside, it's just calling you out. Like you're conscious. You're with knowledge of that. And you're like, mm-mm, mm-mm, that ain't how that happened. Like your mouth can be moving. And I do this overseas. And it, it, it resonates with in any language, in any culture. Like your mouth can be moving. And inside your comes like, liar. You are a liar. You are sitting here saying something, and your mouth is moving. You know that is not how that happened. <laughs> and you can keep doing it, and you can keep doing it, but God placed that in there because he, you know. That's where we want peace. And I've got good news for you because your conscience isn't your heart. Your conscience is just a recorder. It records it. And so if you never become, quote, born again, if you haven't given your life to Christ, if you haven't experienced the forgiveness that only comes through Christ, then your conscience is still dirty. And it still has all this stuff on it. But what happens is, according to Hebrews chapter 9, we're not turning there this morning, but according to Hebrews chapter 9, real quickly, what it does, it says, not with the blood of goats and bulls or the ashes of a heifer uh, made us outwardly clean. It says, how much more will the eternal Holy Spirit Take the blood of Christ and cleanse our conscience from dead works so that we can serve the living God. So what that means is this. People are going around trying to serve God with this dirty conscience because they haven't let him clean it. So, so I still remember everything I did, the junk, the garbage. It's, I still remember it very vividly. But guess what? It doesn't affect me because it's already been washed away. I see redeemed over it. I say, man, so this is what we call our testimony. You had a test where you failed, and now it becomes your testimony that, God, your grace is greater than my biggest failure. You're God, you're, you're able to do that. And so having that understanding, knowing that we know all this on the inside, God wants to give us his peace, and this is where peace, I've got three real quick things, uh, three things, where does peace come from? And this is no surprise to any of you, but it needs to be said. Peace comes from God. 
Many people try to get it in many other ways, but it comes from God. Isaiah 9, 6, uh, scripture that we use mainly at Christmas. It's where, uh, where the prophet Isaiah is prophesying about the coming Messiah. And he gets, says this, for unto us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government will rest on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. He's the prince of, like he rules it. He has it, all of it that we need. And it goes on in 2 Corinthians where it's not just called the prince of peace, but he's called the Lord or the God of peace. He's not just the God of love, but he's also the God of peace. In 2 Thessalonians 3.16, it says this. Uh, Paul's writing to the church at Thessalonica and he says, Now may the Lord of peace himself, the Lord of peace himself, continually grant you peace, in some situations, once in a while, in every circumstance, the Lord be with you all. Why would Paul write this in his letter to the Thessalonians unless he knew their circumstances were going to be less than pleasant? Or less than kind. He said that because he knew, man, the Lord of peace himself, he will continually grant it, continually birth that, continually build that, continually produce that in you and in me. In 2 Corinthians 13, 11, this is where Paul writes to the, again, these are all churches that he wrote to. Finally, brethren, rejoice, be made complete, be comforted, be like-minded, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. So he says, hey, first and foremost, our peace comes from God. I'm not going to turn there this morning, but in Luke 1, when uh, Zechariah, um, John the Baptist's uh, dad, um, was, he, he had refused, he didn't believe that his wife could be pregnant, uh, Elizabeth, and so God said, hey, since you, you didn't believe me, I, I don't want you to talk for a year. <laughs> you don't get to talk till he's born. And so he was... And during that time, God began to speak to him, and God prophesied to him about his son and what he would be like. And in the latter part of it, uh, of the prophecy towards the end, it says um, that, that, and you, my child, talking about him, will be called a prophet to the Most High, for you will go out before the Lord to prepare the way for him to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. Like his whole desire for you and to me is to guide us, to lead us. Just like he said, in, like we read in, in Galatians 5, that those who live according, who allow the spirit to lead them, he gives us this peace. Matter of fact, I love what, Psalms 4, 8, and some of y'all might need to memorize this. Those who have a uh, struggle sleeping, um, 4, 8 says this, In peace I will lie down and sleep, for you alone, Lord, make me dwell in safety. He's the only one that can do it. I can get all the guards and everything, but he's the one that caused that. So it's God's desire for us to have that inner peace that transcends our outer turmoil. And in so doing... um, 
He wants us to experience that, not just for ourselves, but in our relationships and everywhere we go. And like I said, I know many times we try to circumvent that process and we go look for peace in other ways, in other places. Like right now, there's a uh, epidemic of people looking for peace outside of the presence of God. And so what they want to do is I can take this, I can smoke this, I can drink this, and I got peace. And I'm like, temporarily. And it's not real peace. Like the problem didn't go anywhere. It's still sitting right there very much alive waiting for you to come back to reality because then you're going to face it. And if not, you're going to face it even worse because there's going to be more circumstances that come up. And so we've got to be careful. I mean, I celebrate the advancements of medication. Uh, I celebrate all that God has done and continues to do. But we've got to be careful that we don't simply rely on man's uh, ability or our own ability to find peace in ourselves and with ourselves that we can't do it apart from God. Secondly, it goes, takes it a step further. Not only do we got uh, does peace come from God, but it comes from a personal relationship with God. So there are people in my family that get to experience peace, the peace of God, but it's only through me and it's only through you. It's people in your family experience the peace of God because of you, because it walks in you and it lives in you, and you bring peace to situations. One of the uh, Beatitudes that Dan didn't mention this morning is we are called to be peacemakers. We are called to be peacemakers, not peacetakers. We've got to be careful. We're not taking peace, but we're making peace. And so peace comes from a personal relationship with God. Romans 5.1. Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's an eternal peace. In other words, God provided it for me. I did nothing but receive it and accept what he's done for me. Colossians 3.15 says... Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart since as members of one body you were called to peace and be thankful. You're, we're called to this. This is what he wants us to have. And we've got to be careful because in our relationship with God, it's got to translate into our relationship with the others. Romans 12 says, as much as depends on you and me, we're to live at peace with all people. In other words, I've got to say so. In peace, I get a choice to either get angry or I can allow the peace of God to develop in me. And by the way, I always say in those moments where people are trying you and testing you, all it is is God is taking his, um, his plow and he wants to go through some fallow ground that you thought you'd already conquered. And he's going, no, you thought you had that. And I'm going to sit, I'm going ch- to churn this thing up. I'm going to plow it up and I'm going to get this soil ready because you got some, a little more peace that you've got to develop. And so those moments are opportunities where God wants to develop that and plow up some of that ground. And so he wants us to have the peace of Christ. He wants us to experience that. And then finally, peace comes in direct portion to our trust. Let me say that again. Peace comes in direct portion to our trust. So in other words, you're going to trust and have faith and put your trust in something or somebody. And so this is where the temporal and the eternal come into real, uh, where, in full view that, um, like my trust, and I've, and I've shared with you many times that, like, like, here we are, I'm on 19 years, and next month will be 19 years that I trusted some doctors at Mayo Clinic to put somebody else's kidney in my body. 
Like my trust was completely in them. And I said, hey, you do what you do. And I'm thankful that they were able to do that because otherwise I probably, I don't know. I, part, I mean, I'm, I'm not putting past God he could have done that. But it wasn't looking that way until I'm like, hey, I, I fully believe that he's still building my other one that was left in me. They didn't take it out. And I said, the reason they did, he's just going to cause it to develop. And anyhow, I, I, I fully trusted that he would do it. But I trusted, Lord, you got to do this. you got to make this happen. And as I did, I had to trust God you're in this process. I had to trust God that you're going you're gonna to lead these doctors. You're going to do this. And it's been 19 years and yes, there's been some struggles. Yes, there's been some challenges. Yes, I get some things that happen because they, they found a way to reduce my immune system where it doesn't recognize that there's a foreign person kidney in my body. And it's like, shh, don't tell your body that this thing don't belong to you so it doesn't attack it. And so this whole thing of, hey, has there been some struggles? Yes. But ultimately, my trust is 100% God. Today, tomorrow, it's not how long I live. But God, my life belongs to you. And that's why in proportion to our faith, our trust, it says this. John 14, 27 says this. Jesus talking to his disciples before he's about to go through the most brutal beating. And before his disciples, they're sitting at a table, relaxing around a table. They're sharing the Passover meal where they just partook of the roasted lamb. Not knowing that the lamb's about to be roasted, not over fire, but over insult, over persecution, over hostility. It's gonna be, he's going to be roasted. And he tells them, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. All of us have reasons almost every day to be troubled of heart and to be afraid. But God says, I want to leave you my peace. I want to give that to you. Isaiah 26, 3 and 4 says this. You will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you. All whose thoughts are fixed on you. Trust in the Lord always for the Lord God is the eternal rock. He's not going to be shaken. He's not going anywhere. This is why our whole demeanor, this is why the Holy Spirit says, lean into me, lean on me, don't lean on your own understanding. But we're to, we're to acknowledge, Jesus, this is you. And I, I close with this scripture, and I'm going to ask the band to come up because I want us to experience. I don't want to just teach on peace. Like, I didn't want to just teach. I'm not trying to teach on love yet. I want you to under, understand some things about that, but I want you to experience much more. I don't want you to just, I don't want to just talk to you about uh, this thing about uh, joy. I want you to experience the joy of the Lord. I don't want to talk to you about peace. I do want that. I want you to understand, but I want you to experience this peace that passes all understanding. Matter of fact, Philippians 4, 6 and 7 says this. Do not be anxious about anything. And like I've told you over and over, and will continue to remind you, anytime somebody says do not, it means there's an opportunity to do. It means there's an opportunity for anxiousness to come about. But in every situation... By prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And it says this, and the peace of God that the Holy Spirit develops, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And I want us to take just a moment. I'm going to ask the band to sing it. Many of you are familiar. There was a hymn that was written in 1873. It's old. And it was 
written by a man who should not have been able to, to write that. His name was Horatio Spradford. And I know many of you don't know Horatio Spradford, but you're going to remember this hymn. And it's a hymn that was written under a situation, under a trial, and under circumstances that many of us have never had to experience. Some may have. Not to that degree, but he was a very successful lawyer in Chicago. And a very prominent businessman and had invested a lot in the Chicago area, downtown area. And he had a lot of money tied up in all the property down there. And the great fire, the great Chicago fire of 1871 ruined him. Literally stole all, uh, I mean, robbed him of all of his finances. It wasn't like today where we've got all the insurance. I ain't got to worry a bird. You were your insurance. You were the one that paid for everything. And so he lost it all. But he was a Presbyterian elder and a devout man of faith. And so two years later in 1873, he had, uh, he had decided to go with one of his friends, D.L. Moody, on a, on a tour of Europe, that, an evangelistic tour of Europe. And um, so he had a business opportunity. Because of the fire, it hadn't gotten dealt with yet, so he had to stay behind. He had, he had already booked a, 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 a a, a ship to go over and, and passage to go over to Europe but because before the day before he had to stop because he had some business deals he had to take care of and he sent his wife and four daughters ahead of him and said hey as soon as I get this handled I'll be and that, was, that wasn't an uncommon thing back then so they get on the ship and on the way over an iron vessel ran into them out in the middle of the ocean and his four daughters died and his wife sent a uh, uh, message back to him, saved alone, what do I do? She was the only one. Could you imagine uh, all them? She had to live with my four daughters gone and my husband is anywhere around. As soon as uh, Horatio got that, he said, I'm getting on a ship and had instantly went out. And while he's passing the area, while he's going through the area where his four daughters in the part of the ocean where his four daughter had, had died, he writes this hymn. Now, I'm going to ask them for just a minute. I want you to just relax just a moment. If you know it, you're welcome to sing it. If not, I want them to sing this for us. And it's called, It Is Well With My Soul. A man wrote this after, while he's writing in his deepest grief, like, man, what am I going to, I couldn't imagine. And he began to pen these words. And I want this piece to be sung and bless you right now this morning. When peace like a river attendeth my way when Well, it is well with 
Take this, and some of you go, I don't like plums. I don't care. Take it and let it sit there and watch it. This piece is plum perfect for you and for me, and I want you to enjoy that. If you'd stand up with me at this time, I want to I bless you. I know God wants to bless you. I hope you've enjoyed the, these, your, your, this fruit. We're going to continue on this journey next week. I need everybody to be here. Bring your friends. I need you to bring your coworkers that you have the most struggle with. That's what I need you to do, the ones you have the most struggle with, because next week is patience. (laughs) I want you to be, I want you to have them all in here, because everybody needs that, and we'll see what that piece looks like, or what that fruit looks like, so I encourage you to do that, but if you would, open your hands and receive from the Lord, those in the auditorium, those online. Father God, you're the one who, who created the universe and everything in it, and you're the one who commanded Blessing to be spoken over your people that your name might be placed on them and you in turn would do the blessing. So I say to every one of you, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. And the Lord lift the light of his countenance on you and give you his peace, his provision, his power, and his protection in the mighty name of Jesus until we meet again. In Jesus' name, amen.